We're continuing in our series today called A God-Lived Life. What we said last week at the beginning of this series is that the big idea behind it is the fact that uh, Jesus has saved you and me. He has saved us from our sins. He has saved us from death. He has healed us from all of sin's guilt and shame. And now we have the amazing privilege of leading and living a God-lived life. We have the amazing privilege of going out into our communities and showing others what a God-lived life looks like and representing our Savior God to the world. Last week we looked at how we do that through a God-lived life of service. That it doesn't matter who that person is, I'm going to serve them because it matters who I am. That's all that matters. And who am I? I'm a Christian by the grace of God. And as a Christian, I serve. I live a life of service. And so I serve no matter who that person is, because all that matters is that I'm God's child. And that's what we do. Today, we're going to look at a God-lived life, a life of hospitality. And what we're going to answer today is, what does that mean? What is hospitality, biblical hospitality, and what should we expect when we live a God-lived life of hospitality? To do that, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9. Uh, this is very early on in Jesus' ministry. Uh, he's still within the first couple months, uh, maybe first six months of his ministry, and he's up in the north. He's up in the north that we call Galilee, uh, because the Sea of Galilee was up there. Previous to this account, Jesus had been on the east side of the Sea of Galilee in a, in a town called the Gadarenes, where he drives out the demon named Legion. Uh, if you're familiar with the story, he comes up to a man, or I should say the man comes up to him, seeks him out, and he's demon-possessed by a, a demon called Legion, and Jesus drives the demon out. After that event, he walks, or he walks across. He did do that. He walked across the Sea of Galilee at one point. But in this instance, he sailed across to the Sea of Galilee uh, to Capernaum, where he was preaching in a house, and some men lowered their friend, who was a paralytic, down before Jesus, and Jesus healed the man. After that account, Jesus leaves the house, and he comes into contact with a man named Matthew who is the writer of this gospel, this good news, this biography of Jesus. And that's what we're going to look to learn about a life of hospitality. We're in Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 9. Here's what we're told. We're going to read the, the first verse, and I'm going to stop and talk about it. So, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up, and followed him. Stop right there. Two things about this interaction. Number one, Jesus loves an unlovable. Which seems pretty harsh because why, does, why do people not love Matthew? Because he's a tax collector. So literally the job he's doing, people don't love him because of his occupation. But let me explain. Tax collectors were contracted by the Roman government. They were Jews who were contracted by the Roman government to collect taxes from their own people. And that's not too bad. 
But there was an unwritten rule between the Roman government and the tax collector, and that is whatever you could get from the person above and beyond the set amount was yours to keep. So, let's say the taxes to the Roman government was $2,000. Matthew would charge his own people $3,500, and he would pocket the extra $1,500. And there was nothing that a Jewish person could do. They had to pay it because it was enforced by the Roman soldiers. And so you've got tax collectors who were known as dishonest people, who were thieves, who were traitors to their own people, and who made a ton of wealth off the backs of the Jewish people. This is Matthew. Maybe you can see why the Jews didn't like tax collectors. Because they're stealing from them. And there's nothing that they can do to change the circumstances. And yet to this person, this unlovable, this outcast, that Jesus stops and says, follow me. Follow me. And Jesus didn't just say, hey, follow me, I'm going to lead, you can trail behind me. No, no, Jesus is inviting Matthew to do life with him. The second thing about this interaction, Matthew's working. He's in his day job, his nine to five, he's in the middle of working, and yet Jesus doesn't make an excuse and say, ah, he probably doesn't want to hear it. He's busy, I'm busy, I'm going on. Uh, let's just move on. This is a normal interaction. The other thing, Matthew probably just stole from Jesus. Jesus probably had to pay his tax, and Matthew probably just charged him way more than his taxes, and yet Jesus says, follow me. There's a couple lessons in there for you and me, isn't there? Number one, we never write someone off. Everyone else had written Matthew off because he's a tax collector. He's a tax collector who's stealing from them. Everyone else wrote Matthew off because he's sitting behind his his desk, his table, collecting taxes. He's working. Jesus didn't write him off because of his circumstances. He didn't write him off because of his sin. He didn't write him off for anything. Jesus said, come follow me. Why? Because Jesus didn't just see a tax collector. He didn't just see a person. He saw a person who needed God. Who needed to know the Savior God. And in love, Jesus invites him into his life to come and do life with Jesus. Because Jesus was going to introduce him to the Savior God. Now imagine that you're Jesus for a second. And I don't know about you, but that's not hard for me to do because my sinful nature loves to think that I'm God. So let's imagine for a second that we're Jesus and we're forming a band of disciples that will one day lead the church. You know as Jesus that you're going to die, you're going to send into heaven, you're going to rise from the dead, you're going to send into heaven, and you are going to entrust these group of disciples to be the leaders of your church. Are you picking Matthew? Not me. You kidding me? He's a thief. He's dishonest. He's a traitor. 
And even though I have three years to train him, as Jesus had with his disciples, I don't know that that's long enough to change Matthew's heart. I'm not picking him. But Jesus did. Because Jesus loves strangers. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus loves the outcasts. Jesus loves the ones that everybody has written off. Jesus loves. And he invites Matthew into his life and says, follow me. We want to know what biblical hospitality is. It's your first point this morning. Biblical hospitality is, uh, biblical hospitality has a love of strangers. A love of others. As I said, Jesus saw Matthew as somebody who needed to know God. He didn't sit down and say, you know what? I need to diversify my group. I got Matthew. I got the tax collector box checked now. Now I need, oh man, now I need two or three more fishermen. No. Jesus saw a man who needed to know the Savior God. And in love, Jesus invited him into his life. That is biblical hospitality. It's not necessarily... Uh, having people over to your house and making a meal for them. Though you could. That is hospitality. But biblical hospitality is doing life with people. Inviting others into your life and doing life together. It's embracing their messiness. It's embracing them no matter what they look like. It's embracing them no matter how 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 different they are than we are. Biblical hospitality invites others in. And says, come, do life with me. Why is that so hard? Maybe I should ask the first question, do you think that's hard? I shouldn't just assume that you, <laughs> you think that's easy. Or that it, you think that's hard. I think it's hard. Because I can think of all kinds of excuses as to why not. I don't have time. I'm so busy doing everything else, I don't have time to invite others into my life. My house isn't clean enough. My house isn't big enough to host. I can think of things like, if I invite that person into my life, this could get really messy really fast for me. I can think of an excuse of, if I invite that person, I do life with that person, and they are sinning very publicly, that could look really bad for me. If I take them on into my life, I could have to give a lot more to this relationship than I really want to. I kind of want to love just a little bit. I want to be there just a little bit, but not to the extent that this person's going to need me to be there. Really, behind all of those attitudes is what? Pride. Pride and arrogance in my heart. A life of biblical hospitality invites people in, and that's what Jesus did with Matthew. He said, I love you, and I want you to know God. You see, if we want to live this biblical life of hospitality, where does it start? It starts by remembering that me and Matthew 
we have a lot in common. Because I too was a mess and am a mess at times. I too need a lot of work from Jesus. I too need a lot of attention from Jesus. I too need a lot of love and forgiveness from Jesus. I too could have been written off by Jesus. But Jesus looked at Stephen Apt and said, follow me. Jesus looked at you and he said, follow me. With your mess, with your sins, with whatever you have going on in your life, Jesus said, come, follow me. And just like Matthew, he changed your and my status. Think about it. When Matthew started his day that day, he started as what? Matthew the tax collector. He ended the day as Matthew, the follower of Jesus. And isn't that what Jesus has done for you and me? Jesus has changed our status just like he changed Matthew. When that water in our baptism washed over our head, Jesus changed Stephen Apt from Stephen Apt the sinner to Stephen Apt the follower of Jesus. And that's what he's done for you and for me. This is what a life of biblical hospitality can do. Because what do we do when we invite others in? We lead them to their Savior, Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He changes their status. Just like he did for Matthew. Just like he's done for us. And so we invite others in. We love strangers. We love the outcasts. We love those who have been written off by everyone else. We love those who are actively stealing from others like Matthew. Because they need to know the Savior God who changes statuses just like we do. And this love, this life of biblical hospitality has big time effects. In fact, it's your second point. Biblical hospitality is contagious. And that's what we see as we continue with Matthew. Verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." Matthew experiences this love of Jesus, this biblical hospitality, and what does he do? He immediately throws a dinner party. For whom? All his sinner friends. All of his friends that are just like him, that have been written off, that were outcasts. Not only were they tax collectors, but we hear the term sinners. And, and sinners was kind of the catch-all term for anyone who was sinning publicly against God's law. Living a life that was publicly violating the will of God. And so who do you have in this category? You've got the Jerusalem drunk. You've got the Jerusalem drug addict. You have the Jerusalem prostitutes. You have fellow tax collectors. You have the thieves. Anyone who was publicly sinning against God's law was a, a term sinner. And Matthew invited them 
a dinner party where Jesus ate. Jesus was breaking all kinds of traditions here. Uh, The Jewish leaders, the Jewish religious leaders told their people that for such individuals as sinners and tax collectors, you can't have any social gatherings with them. You can't go and have dinner. You can't hang out with them. You need to stay away from them. In fact, these people weren't even allowed into the synagogue. So that would be like saying to the drug addict, the drunk, the prostitute, if they came to church, we would say, you can't come in here. can't come in. Not until you go and clean up your life. Then you can come in. And Jesus turns it all around. Imagine coming to a dinner party and there's a rabbi, a teacher of God's word, and he's sitting at the dinner table with people like you. People that the church had written off. You see, Jesus had a different message than the Pharisees. The Pharisees said, go clean yourself up and then maybe we'll accept you. Jesus said, you're a mess, come have dinner with me. Let me clean you up. And that love, that, that love that invited people in was contagious and it changed lives. Now Jesus invited them into his life, not the other way around. There's a difference. Jesus said, come follow me. I'm not going to follow you. You come follow me. And the difference is this. Jesus never dropped his morality. Jesus never dropped living a God-lived life. He hung out with these people, but he continued to be godly, and they weren't going to change him. He was going to influence them. And that's important as we invite people into our lives. We don't drop our godliness to relate to them. We're a godly influence on them as we lead them to their Savior, Jesus. This biblical hospitality is contagious. And that's what we saw in the first century, right? Even after Jesus died, rose again, we saw Acts chapter 2. The church boomed. And the numbers grew. We live here in the 21st century America. And what is Christianity doing? Declining. What has changed? Whenever we, we talk about this, I often get, well... America's changed. It's not nearly as moral as we used to be. Okay. But do you know what the Roman Empire was like in the first century? If not, go home and read Romans chapter 1, 18 to 32. And you're going to think you're reading America. It got so bad that, that Paul finally says that God gave everyone over to their sinful desires. How immoral the Roman Empire must have been. And yet... Christianity boomed. Did they have a different message? No. Jesus Christ crucified and and risen was the message, and it's still the message today. What has changed? Maybe it's the fact that we've lost biblical hospitality. Maybe in 21st century America, we at least give the impression to outsiders that you need to look like us, be like us, before you come in. Maybe we've become so individualistic that we've stopped loving those who have been written off. 
Maybe we've stopped loving and inviting strangers and outsiders in to love and care and lead them to their Savior, Jesus. Just maybe we've lost biblical hospitality. Just maybe because we're, we've lost that loving uh, love for outsiders, the message of Christianity isn't as attractive. Maybe it's us. And so how do we get that fire again? It's by what Jesus says. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's recognizing something that the Pharisees didn't recognize, and that is that we are all sick. We are all sick with sin. You, me, those people out there, we are all sick with sin. There's no difference. And all of us are going to die because of that sin. There's nothing you and I have done to fix the problem. There's nothing that we've done to clean up our mess. Instead, Jesus has found us. The doctor of souls, the one who has the medication to cure the heart, the one who has the healing ointments and balm and medications to heal the sinfulness and the guilt that weighs on our heart, he's found us and healed us. And it's nothing that we've done. It's only by the grace of God, by the mercy of our God, that we have been healed. And now we want them to know it too. We're just one sick person telling another sick person where to find the cure. And it's in our Savior Jesus. And we want them to know it too. The Pharisees missed it. They thought they could, because they cleaned up their outside actions that that was somehow how they were good with God. And yet it's not. It's only by the grace of God through our Savior Jesus that we have been healed. And we want others to know it. It starts with love. This is a really key point, and maybe we want to write it down and, and think about it. People aren't argued into belief. They are loved into belief. People aren't argued into belief. They are loved into belief. Nobody ever says, you know what? You're right. I lost this argument. I should believe what you said. No, if somebody loses an argument, they go away upset. But when they're loved, when they are shown what a God-lived life looks like, when they're shown Jesus through our love, they are loved toward belief. And that's what biblical hospitality is all about. That's what our Savior has done for us. He didn't make us lose an argument. He loved us. He didn't win an argument. He loved us. He loved us. And he loved us. And so let's have that same love for those who have been written off. Let's have that same love for outsiders. Let's have that same love for strangers because that's the love that our Savior has for you and for me and it's completely changed our life. As we live in love, we will, we will attract outsiders and we have that amazing privilege of leading them to their Savior Jesus to heal them both now and forever. May our Savior be with us, bless us as we do this. Let's pray. Jesus, your love for us 
is beyond anything that we can understand. In our mess, in our sin, you love us and invite us into your life uh, to walk with you, to talk with you, to grow in you. And you have completely changed us for eternity. You've changed us and you continue to change our day-to-day lives with your love. Help us to love in a way that you love us. Let us love those who are different. Let us love those uh, who are, in, are currently not living a life for you and maybe even rejecting you. Let us love, not argue, but love. Let us not drop our morality just to fit in, but instead um, let us be a godly influence as we love others and lead them to the cross and the empty tomb where you have won salvation for all who believe. We ask you to be with us today. Continue to watch over us. Let us live this God-lived life of love and of, and of hospitality so that more and more people may be attracted to you, learn about you, grow in you, and finally have faith in you as the Savior of the world. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Part of tradition in Christian worship is to say a statement of faith that we call a creed. The Apostles' Creed was written 